Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined by your very best friends and the best April Fool's pranksters I know. The best April Fool's pranksters I know, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. How are, how are you guys doing? How are you doing? Is that what you're going to say? How are you doing? Well, happy April Fool Fuels Day. (laughs) I heard that the other day. Uh. April Fuels Day. Uh, It feels like we're fools at the pump right now, but hey. Um, Wow. Um, I feel like fool just pretty much every day. Well, there's that. (laughs) And I love how there's no, no, Jim. You are a, a son of God. You are a, a child of, of the family of faith, and we love you. No, it's just yes, wanna, you are a yeah, fool. We just I want to respect go. your. I want to respect your feelings, Jim. So. <laughs> 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 That's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, hey, Podicumans, we're so glad that you are with us. As always, you can hit us up on social media at Podicesis is where you can find us. You can also leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we're most grateful for that. You know, we've hit that uh, over 50 now on there, and at some point we've got to do this. I think what we're going to do is an interview with Alan Kaysen on what it was like growing up as a PK and see if we could draw out or use a good biblical the, term, the, exegete. The, the, Lord, the Lord has been revealing more and more of my past, so... Oh, who knows? This is wow. fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Which means he's making it up. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. Anyway, so, um, uh, you know, the last episode we did, we talked about the word, I mean, the word of God. Oh, and, that oh, was gosh. so planned. It hurt. <laughs> yeah, that was wow. not a slip of the tongue. <laughs> not a slip at all. No, no. Uh, we talked about the word of God. And um, one of the things that we kind of left off, uh, just for time's sake, um, I want to hit on for just a few minutes before we start talking about the sacraments. And that is um, in Protestant circles, uh, you listeners out there may have heard something called uh, uh, called sola scriptura, sola scriptura, um, and um, it's Latin. It means scripture alone or scripture by itself. Um, it's a way of looking at scripture as the only authoritative text or way of doing theology. Revelation. Revelation. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for, revelation, uh, for doing uh, doing theology. Uh, there's also another Latin ter- uh, phrase called prima scriptura, prima scriptura, which is that scripture is primary, a primary source, if you will, of doing, of doing uh, theology. And so I wanted to just chat about that because um, uh, actually what happened was tell Jim story. and I, yeah, I'm going to tell the story. Jim and I, when we were at the, um, at the Spirit and Truth Conference, we got into a discussion over the difference between sola scriptura and prima scriptura, and that Wesley himself was probably more in line with the idea of prima than he was with sola. Although he was a man of the Protestant Reformation, he was a man of the Reformation itself, and would allude to the Reformation many, many times. Um, he but was, he was an Anglican. But he was also an Anglican, and so that was a major tenet uh, for revelation, for understanding Scripture for Anglicans. And so and now, um, now, now listen, when Brett says there was a discussion, no, let me just clarify. It Pillows was a were gauntlet. thrown. 
Yeah. Um, pillows were thrown. Hair was pulled. It was. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was a little bitty cat fight there. And I, uh, I just. I just threw my diet coke right in his face. He did. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, did not know what hit them uh, when uh, Prima and yeah. Sola yeah. came together. Actually, what I did is I said, Brett, one time you and I are going to have to uh, film a debate about these terms, Prima and Sola Scripture. So yeah. here's a couple things to caveat. Um, Sola Scriptura sounds like it's the perfect way to go because we believe in the scriptures and we believe that they are the written word of God. And so um, to say something different, like feels funny. So some listeners who are maybe not versed in the theological terms are going to say, oh no, the Bible alone. Um, But I will go as far as to say this, no one is sola scriptura. Yeah. No Even Luther, one. Luther wasn't. So, I mean, yeah, so go ahead, yeah. Sola Scriptura comes, uh, it's not necessarily Protestant per se, though Protestantism comes out of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura is reformed in the truest sense of what it means to be a part of the pure Reformation lineage. And he's reacting against um, kind of this wide range of revelation papal authority mm-hmm. um and the magisterium of the roman catholic church mm-hmm. and things of that nature so anglicans are are they might fall in the protestant stream they're technically not protestant um anglicans um come out of a slightly different branch of the family tree of our christian family and um so let me give you an example of why sola scriptura doesn't doesn't hold up as far as like its own doctrine it's more like an ideology of recognizing that the scripture is your primary source yeah yeah, yeah all yeah. right so the scriptures themselves are preserved are, are transmitted by the holy spirit through the work of the collective church not not like the history channel documentaries like who secretly put together a bible and left all the books out that's <laughs> dumb that's not that is so dumb yes and um for all i've got listeners in my church i would love to talk to you about that the the holy spirit's all over the transmission of these 66 books now the anglican church at the time and i i I think that i am like 75 percent accurate held reason is is a high place of god-given reason to interpret scripture and tradition meaning tradition meaning did you know that people read the Bible before you and they actually figured some things out that you could learn from them? (gasps) And so Anglicans were reading through the lens of using the human faculty of reason given by God and the church. So Wesley himself, who spent just tons and tons of time trying to get back to the what he called the primitive church or the, the early church, wasn't just talking about the book of Acts. He's also talking about the earliest church fathers. He spent a lot of time reading through Eastern Orthodoxy, the patristics, anti and post-Nicene fathers, the Nicene fathers, um, things of that nature. For example, anytime you are reciting the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, you are relying on the tradition of the church, and they help us understand how we are reading Scripture. They don't say anything contrary because they come straight from Scripture. They are rubrics to help us understand the life of God in Scripture. And so, uh, United Methodists, by by Book of Discipline, this is a fun thing to bring up, um, are not sola scriptura. They have, we have what we call in our theological task, the 
Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is kind of a farce. Mm-hmm. Oh, I said that out loud. You did. You yeah. Did. And I'm not bleeping it, by the way. In fact, I'm wow. Gonna, yeah, we're going to just. That's which, going to be which, the says, which says that we engage our theology through scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Now, the problem that uh, I would personally articulate that some United Methodists uh, have using the quadrilateral is that they are not prima scriptura. Scripture is the source of written revelation. The other three, tradition, reason, and experience, are means by which we understand and mm-hmm. interpret scripture. And so, Scripture is primary. So, for example, if I'm reading the Bible, I, I wish I could come up with like a example verse, and I just came out with a verse that I read out of context and maybe read three words of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, you know, uh, God didn't create everything. Yeah. Well, the creeds and the tradition and reason help me go back yep. and say I'm out of bounds there in the way we understand the Bible and the Bible wants to be read. Right. Okay, well, there's and, my spiel. No, and 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 kind of to piggyback on that is, and I, I read someone earlier this week who put this out there. Um, it also the Bible, so we can believe like the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, but we can test that to what Scripture how so Scripture becomes this um, almost like a, a litmus test, if you will. I, I don't know if that's even a, a good way of putting it, but almost a filter that we're running these experiences and reasoning through, and if it doesn't uphold through that filter, through that through that foundation, that biblical foundation, then it it is not of the Holy right. Spirit. It right. is not a, it is so, of something else. It's what John would say in his letter of testing the spirits in a way, mm-hmm. that we're, this is what we're doing. And so actually... So we were having this argument back and forth, and the more I've thought about this, the more I am. I am a if with this kind of understanding, then I'm a prima guy because um, I, I believe that tradition is a big piece to this. Now I I, I tend to lean in the school of uh, William Abraham. Um, he's got a good book called Waking from Doctrinal Amnesia, mm-hmm. and in that book he talks about how scripture and tradition are not equal. Scripture is primary, of course, as well. But tradition is is of most importance in kind of interpretation and, and the, the the transmission of Scripture to us and, and knowledge and all that. But then reason and experience are on kind of different plane. They're important. They're, they're a personal thing, but they're fallible. Um, and they're 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 based up they're subjective. They're based upon us. Yeah. And and, uh, and the reason is never meant to be a source of divine revelation in say the United Methodist Wesleyan quadrilateral. It is to say that I have to use my brain Mm -hmm. to comprehend and connect the revelation that comes from Scripture. Right, right. Um, The other thing that we get mixed up on in our modern United Methodist reading is um, the Book of Discipline, which lays out our theological task, doesn't just say Scripture, tradition, reason, experience. Uh, speaking of experience, it says it is confirmed by experience. Yeah. So now this is this is probably a bad theological framework and shouldn't be in. Gosh, shouldn't be. <laughs> I'm going to get excommunicated. No, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> um, what 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 was Albert Outler who articulated this? What was he trying to bring forward from John Wesley? It is confirmed by experience. Yeah. So let's take John Wesley's famous and often diluted story. You know, we you misuse this story all the time about the heartwarming experience at Aldersgate. Yeah. The fact that he was true, this was not his 
this was his uh, uh, assurance of salvation experience, right? Yes. yes. It wasn't like his baptism in the Spirit. It was his assurance right. of salvation That's experience. Right. That's right. And so, if you take and read the scripture about Ephesians two or Ephesians one, which says you are adopted into the family of God, an heir, a co-heir with the Son, etc., of God's promises. Wesley felt that confirmed in his lived experience yeah. um, by the witness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So therefore his heart was strangely warmed. It is not such that I love um, chocolate. Therefore chocolate is divine and I can orient my life around chocolate. The experience is not the divine revelation. Right. The experiences can confirm the truths that are transmitted in scripture. Some of the big pushback we get uh, when we bring these things up is because there is a movement afoot. I don't know if that's the right way of a movement. It. Are you Sherlock Holmes? Movement <laughs> <laughs> of um, where experiences become our, you know, it, because this hap- our primary revelation. Because this is who I am. This is what I feel. This is what I've happened to me. Then all truth is based around that. It's very, mm-hmm. very, very subjective. So um, um, I could get the pushback, but I do think once we kind of take a step back and you look at what sola scriptura, prima scriptura, in many ways, it's really kind of a fine line difference. It, re- um, it really is. Yeah. And, and you got to hear us. It sounds better to say scripture alone. It yes. sounds well, better. I know it does. Yes. Well, but us Protestants, we have to have something to argue about. We so, do. do y'all, yes. Did you ever see uh, Andy Stanley at the Georgia House of Representatives a yes. couple of weeks ago? Yeah. He stood in front of the, the legislature of the state of Georgia, and he said something like, if you have to have an enemy to lead, you are a bad leader. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but Protestants, would you? Yes. Um, I won't riff too much on this, but I, I do love this. Scripture is absolutely primary. It contains all things necessary for salvation. It is the yeah. written word of God. It is the the revelation of God passed down to us through the ages by the agency and authorship of the Holy Spirit of God. But in practice, nuance yes. is is important. Yes. You are not even if you got like you pull out your stu- your Reformed Study Bible. Mm-hmm. Look, you pull out your Reformed Study Bible. You are not sola scriptura if you are reading notes. That's right. If you've ever quoted John Calvin in a Bible study, you're not sola scriptura. Does that mean you don't think scripture is primary? No. no. Do you not think scripture is the be all end all jam? Yes. No. Yeah. All right. So there's there's my there's my debate. Hey, I I heard there's some other means of grace. Oh, you're ready to go. Alan I just ready. I just was wondering, like, did you guys like um I just heard that there were some other means of grace. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you this. I do want to lift up the positive use of experience and Methodism. Yeah. We were at the Spirit and Truth Conference a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. I believe that God can heal. Amen. Right? I believe right. this. Absolutely. All right. But like Wesley, I, I've sat for a long time and thought, I believe this in my brain. Mm. Listeners don't know this, and I'm not going to go into it much because I promise to speak from my scars and not bleed from my wounds. Yeah. But back in December, my wife and I, uh, well, we lost our baby. Uh, she was stillborn two weeks. Can you believe this? Two weeks before she was to be born. Mm-hmm. And like a good type A perfectionist, I've been getting on, right? 
mm-hmm. go back to work, get back on the podcast, do my best to keep things together for my other three children and my wife. Um, but my heart is is still kind of, I mean, it's, I'm not, it's, not, it's broken still, mm-hmm. absolutely broken. Sitting at the Spirit and Truth Conference, we are worshiping, believing that the Holy Spirit of God is present in this place. Because, it, you know, just the Spirit of God is present period, all over, but especially we're sitting here, we're believing this and worshiping the Lord. And in my heart, I'm sitting there, like, for some reason, resisting everything that I know is true, that God just, God, God just wants to trickle in with a little, a little of his sweet super glue and just bind up a little bit of my broken heart. And then the, the, I just felt God call me to open up and it was embarrassing and it was snotty and Mm-hmm. Yeah, ugly crying and whatever, and inviting people to pray for me. And gosh, I think I like leaned over and laid on one of your shoulders. Um, yeah, it's still wet. It's still wet from your but tears. Here, here's what I want to say about that. <laughs> it's not. Scripture taught me that God heals, that Jesus comes to bind up the broken heart. Yeah, amen. I've yes, seen it in the lived experience of others, I've experienced it in places in my own life. Once again, the witness of scripture was confirmed through my experience about the truths of God. My experience did not change the truths of God revealed in scripture. Right. But they confirmed to me. Right. The truths of God revealed in scripture. Yeah. All right. So I don't know if we wanted that long a tangent, but that's let's good. Talk, no, let's I'm not going to interrupt the Holy spirit, Jim. I've already yeah, learned that lesson. So let's uh, talk sorry about talk. talking about other means of grace. My bad. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, All I can say to that is amen and amen. Uh, Okay, so speaking of the Word, we're going to now, uh, as confirmed in the Word, or brought up in the Word, uh, talk about the sacraments. Now, uh, we have talked about means of grace in the past. We've talked about means of grace. Uh, We're talking about special, is that a good word to put in it? Means of grace. Um, It'll do for now. It'll do for now. (laughs) All... um, all sacraments are means of grace, but not all means of grace are sacraments. And so, That's awesome. So uh, we're um, going to talk about the sacraments. And so uh, let's go ahead and get to these questions. we got three of them, and here we go. Uh, how do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation not from any virtue in them or in him who does administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit in them who by faith received them. And then what is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ in which, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Hmm. And then lastly, which are the sacraments of the New Testament? The sacraments of the New Testament are baptism and the Lord's Supper. I have to say, Alan, every week, every week, you just, you have a, you You have the answers. I mean, you have the answers. How do you know? Almost like it was written down for you. It was written down for me. Long, long time ago. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. (laughs) In a galaxy far away. Far away. (laughs) 
don't even know this what is, to do with that. This is what the people. This is what the people are here for. This yes. is- Sweet goodness, what an episode already! I know, right? We barely, we barely started. <laughs> Oh, Jim, um, we've been going for 20 minutes, but y'all had to fight about Primo and Solo. So yeah. there we go. Solo. <laughs> solo. Solo. Han solo. He shot, yeah, first. shot solo. first. Yeah, he shot first. Yeah. All right, let's read some scripture. Okay. Uh, right, I'm going to start with some of the scripture proofs, okay? Okay. Um, I'll pick up a verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Um, and it says, And baptism, which this prefigured, that refers to the previous verse, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So two things that happen in this particular segment of scripture, it labels out particularly the focus on baptism, you know, baptism instituted by Jesus carried out through the new Testament letters, which means through the church. Mm -hmm. Now, another beautiful thing this does is it talks about God's agency in it. All right. So I wouldn't use this verse as like your only scripture proof for sacrament, but it says, but as an appeal to God, uh, it, it saves you not as a removal from dirt from your body, which means that you're not going to do something that makes this a sacrament. God is going to do the work. God is pouring out the grace of all power, love, holiness, and goodness. God is the active agent in a sacrament. That's where that shows uh, there. Let me pick up also, uh, I'm going to do two more in succession. First Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, Paul says of the church there, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God mm. who gives the growth. Again, talking about this segment, it says the person who is in ministry is not actually the effectual or the you know, the, the agent of power. It is God. God yeah. Real quickly, um, there is a little bit of pushback in some of these early Reformed Protestant writings, like this catechism, against the set-apart ordained priesthood of the Ro- Roman Catholic Church, which signifies that the priest has a specific um, power and authority over scripture, or over sacrament. In, say, my tradition, in the United Methodist tradition, we are not given magical powers, but really? I know, Alan, it's disappointing. We do wear robes. <laughs> like wizards. Um, <laughs> but what it means is that we are set apart from the body of the church, not as anything magical or special, but as one who guard and rightfully administer the sacraments. Right. That's right. All right. I'm going to do one more okay. real quick. Matthew 3.11. Okay. Uh, John the Baptist Remember, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River? Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad you remember that, Brett. I do. Um, was he Southern Baptist? <laughs> was he Southern Baptist? I had, listen, I had one of my, oh, oh, Brett, you and I have a mentor in common who demanded that the church refer to him as John the Baptizer uh, sir, and not yeah. John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that. Love him. God rest his blessed yeah, soul. He touched my heart so much. Yeah. All right. Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I, this is Jesus, is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Ooh. Mm. So you have the, the, the physical uh, water, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is a, um, there's this, the baptism of the Spirit that comes in the, baptiz- in the Christian baptism. Mm-hmm. So it's 
less than just a sign of I repented, therefore I use water. It is now through the through the sacrament of the church, um, a very spiritually empowering thing. All right, those are the scriptures that I wanted to lift up. So there's some details in baptism um, and in communion that we'll want to get to, but we're actually going to do episodes specifically on baptism and communion in the future. So we'll hit those details, like forms of baptism, um, you know, kind of history of baptism, what all, that kind of stuff. So we'll get to that in a future episode. Forms? Uh, yeah, forms. There's there's multiple ways? There's multiple ways. Okay. Alan, right. you're well, not allowed I to... You're I not cannot allowed to wait com- till the next episode. <laughs> yes. uh, okay. Alan, the cliffhanger, you're not allowed to complain about the length of an episode anymore. <laughs> the cliffhanger. <laughs> He's a hanger on. Yes. Yes. All right. Alan, do you have any scriptures for us today? No. No. Just joking. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, April Fool's. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, for everybody, this is... We're recording on April Fool's, so... Uh, yeah. I apologize for my behavior. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh so i'm gonna read first corinthians 11 um 23 through 26 paul's writing to the church in corinth he says for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you and he's uh, gonna go into the lord's supper he said the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, um, again, part of the answer to the sacrament, what is the sacrament? It is... um, It's uh, instituted by Christ, and Christ did it. He... he, he, um, instructed us to do it and he and he did it with his disciples and and paul is kind of retelling that story um the sensible signs um actual bread actual uh yeah. wine slash juice um you could sense it feel it yeah you could feel it, it taste it, yeah. it um and that uh, the benefits of the new covenant um and you know we're 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 it is it is a form of witness that we do when we take communion. We are proclaiming Christ's death, but also that he's resurrected and that he's coming back. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? So Paul says there, this just really kind of clicked with me. So he says, what I have received, I passed on to you. Mm-hmm. Isn't that how he says it? Yes. So <clears throat> Paul was not at the Last Supper. No. He would. He wasn't there when, at the institution that I'm going to read. What? <laughs> you know All right, Jim. I have Paul, to rethink my life. Paul comes around a little bit later, <laughs> ah, yeah. but he's in the same book. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but th- this I, this just really kind of clicked with me now. Um, in a minute, I'm going to read to you Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper in Matthew. Um, but someone had to pass this on to Paul. Someone had to teach Paul this, tell him this, probably Peter or probably who, who knows who it was, but uh, someone had to teach Paul and tell him, and now he's passing it along. So communion becomes for us, and baptism communion uh, becomes for us a teachable moments that we, it becomes moments that we pass on to others as well. That's why these, these are important 
things that we do. And I think, Alan, when you said that about being a witness, Mm -hmm. that's exactly right. Paul knows about this because someone witnessed it to him. Well, we may not fully understand all that Paul was revealed, what was revealed to Paul when when Christ revealed himself to him. So, I mean, it could be all those things. um, You also got to remember that he spent time under instruction with the apostles as well. Right. Right. Well, and he was, and he was a Jew who would have known the Passover meal. So it's like, um, yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. It is cool though. I lift up N.T. Wright's quote biography on Paul. Mm-hmm. Is a pretty beautiful yeah. uh, connection there. Nice. Awesome. awesome. All right, and then we're going to look at a couple of Matthew passages, uh, one from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. And so there's this command to go, this commission to go and to to make disciples, to baptize them as a means of of, of showing their faith in Christ, their their new birth, their new their new life. Um, so and then so and then we're going to look at Matthew 26 and this is Jesus's institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, as they were eating, this is during the Last Supper, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit, of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we've got Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper here at uh, what would be the Last Supper with his disciples. And I've often wondered about that, just kind of if we were a fly on the wall, like what that was like when they got to that part when Jesus did that. You know, Passover meals, Passover remembrances are long things. They're long uh, celebrations. This is probably a very long meal that they're having and prayers and remembrances and telling the Exodus story and, and all of that. At what point does Jesus pick up bread? At what point does he pick up a cup? You know, when is all that happening? Do what are the disciples thinking when they hear him say, "This is my blood. This is my body broken for you." Uh, it's, it's, it, I imagine that it was very. Um, I imagine it, it it shocked them. Yeah, yeah. It shocked I mean, there's them. obvious. It's obviously, hey, wait, that wasn't in the bulletin, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't in the bulletin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brett, uh, when you were reading that, did you have uh, did you have a difficult time reading that and not like falling back into reciting the communion liturgy? I did. The Great Thanksgiving. Yeah, <laughs> I did. yeah, yeah. Me too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so there's so there's some scripture there for us. We see uh, Jesus instituting. We see Paul passing that institution on um, in Corinthians, and the importance of what we believe is God as the acting agent in in these in these moments. And that that's the key here that God is the acting agent's agent. So what makes a sacrament a sacrament? Hmm. Curious. 
Well, uh, our scripture, or our question says, lays it out all right. It's a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. Mm-hmm. So you have that. So you have traditions that have, say, the Roman Catholics have seven sacraments. Yeah. Uh, many Orthodox uh, groupings from the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church, um, don't necessarily limit the number. Um, they say that the, anything that the church does is sacramental because the church was instituted by Christ. Right. Um, and then you have, as you get into the Reformation era, um, kind of laying out Christ things that Christ instituted and commanded us to do. Um, so baptism, where he said in Matthew, go and baptize, mm-hmm. um, and the Lord's Supper, um, when he talks about, you know, do this as often as you drink it, et cetera. So he's kind of commanding them forward. Yeah. So there's one. Yeah. What else? Oh, um, uh, I think those are, I mean, I think those are, that's pretty good. Um, I, was I follow- know, I know. No, listen, but you come I was, on. okay, just <laughs> complete honesty to everybody. I was actually really paying attention to what Jim said, and I wasn't thinking about it on my own. Like, um, what so, does make a sacrament a sacrament? So, so a sacred action? Is that so? It's, so that's kind of a definition. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so what Jesus did, but also told us to do, um, I think it is using something real and tangible yeah yeah yeah. um as a special means of god's grace so the water in -hmm. baptism and the bread and the juice or wine in the in communion and again um those things don't have special powers in and of themselves but we do believe that the holy spirit um is is present that christ is present in them Mm -hmm. um so neither the neither the person administering them or the or the elements themselves um are superpowers or superheroes or anything like that well (laughs) dang it which no no which brings up another question then are sacraments necessary for salvation necessary for salvation so i'm gonna i'm gonna nuance that question a bunch very quickly um that's what jim does i do i do if you are a standard cultural Christian who only understands salvation as what does it require for my sins to be forgiven so I can be justified? Mm-hmm. Yes. Then yes. no. If you understand salvation in the way that scripture, the classic church, even this catechism, and definitely Wesley and Strands, as salvation is the salvation life, which includes justification and sanctification and glorification, mm-hmm. then yes. Because, and I might even need to nuance, yes, because there are cases where people might not have access to the sacraments, Uh, but you receiving God's grace and entering into union with God is necessary. If someone can be, can you be saved outside of the church because baptism is an initiation to the church? Well, edge cases and God can do things for show, but the church is necessary for the ongoing salvation life of a person um it's the whole i have been saved i am being saved and i will be saved Mm -hmm. so i would nuance that a bunch do you need Mm -hmm. it for justification no so there's my answer and it's probably it probably messed up a little there terminology it's like okay so yeah if you think about if you think about there's terms of justification so i believe somebody can say yes to jesus that i'm going to follow him um, walks out the door, gets hit by a car, and never got baptized. Mm-hmm. 
are they are they saved? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um, but yes, are are we are we missing something if if um if we don't have those things as we're walking, you know, day by day in our in our I think we're we're not experiencing the fullness that Christ has for us. Mm-hmm. Um and I and again, it, like you said, it, this needs to be nuanced a little bit, but mm-hmm. um but at a, minimum you, at minimum you can say they're absolutely not optional. Yeah, that's true. Right. If true. you are if you if you are um a New Testament Christian believer, you recognize that the community of faith is the body of Christ and to be a part of Christ you need to be a part of his physical body as well as his, you know, have your spiritual adoption in Christ. So the meal that the family eats together and the initiation into that community uh, are necessary for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you want to get down to brass tacks, what about so-and-so who got hit by a bus and never took communion or was baptized? Mm-hmm. You know, Christ is effectual. Now, the question that the catechism asks is, how is it effectual? Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean how does it cause, but how does it help to affect yeah. Yeah. salvation? And the answer is because it is a means of experiencing God's grace. Right. In fact, um, an extraordinary way means of experiencing god's grace that's why wesley himself called people to constant communion i um when i do the invitation for communion um you know that the invitation in the methodist church uh, is kind of classic it's you know christ invites to his table all who love him who uh, earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live at peace with one another Uh, one of the things i do in the invitation when i'm opening the table, when the table saying come to the table is, uh, this table is open for those of you who love Christ, you know, the, here's here's the invitation, but it's also open to those of you who may want, who, who you probably have had an experience with Christ here and you don't know, like, you, you've said yes to Jesus for the very first time in your life, and today you want to come and to eat at his table. Come on, let's do that. So I use it as a almost a teaching moment to um, to speak to maybe some experience that someone's had with Christ in their in their seats um, during the worship service. Um, so that's been that's been helpful for me too when we talk about the invitation uh, for communion. Um, one more thing we talked about: what makes a sacrament? It's an um, Christ instituted it. It uses these physical items. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also the actions associated with them. We often refer to sacraments as sign acts. Yeah. Um, and so the, the materials themselves, cause you could easily, you can receive Christ through vocal and spiritual surrender, <laughs> but the act of water baptism, you know, using water in the act of receiving baptism is also a part of it. Um, so you have the sign and the action. You also have a beautiful moment where through the sacrament, we recognize that we don't live a disembodied faith because you do it in the presence of other believers. You are tasting, you are smelling, you are sensing with touch, all of these things. It affects your body, which should remind us that we are not Gnostics and that the body is something that Christ redeems as well. Yeah. And I just love the fact that God has these you know, not just the means of grace in which he reveals himself to us, but he has these, as the uh, cate- the catechesis says, these sensible, these sensible, these things we can touch, we can see, we can taste, we can smell. 
I'm grateful that a transcendent God, a God who is bigger than our brains, he's 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 more than we can even imagine, has has these things, these these things we can hold and see and be a part of and have wash over us that he communicates to us with these things that we can in a sense commune with a transcendent God in these physical like they're here and we can see and we can experience God's grace as a real 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 thing because these are real things am I making mm-hmm. sense there and yeah. ordinary things and they're, ordinary. they're not they're not rich right. people things they're right. not exclusive things they're that's the basic thing about, yeah that's the things. thing about wine and bread you know it's available to everybody like it's there it's very very basic and it's great and it's beautiful one more thing I would add is, um, and this could be my own bias of reading, but um, part of the sacrament is the uh, assurance of Christ's presence in the act. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about that more in communion. And we've talked about it before about Christ's presence for us in the United Methodist Church. It's more of a what we call a mysterious presence. Yes. In such, we say, um, uh, you know, we invite Christ's presence at the table. We recognize it. We don't necessarily feel the need to nail it down. Um, sure. Like these cells turn into Jesus cells. <laughs> but it's definitely not Christ is absent and we're doing this in his memory. That's, that's correct. That's right. Only. That's good. All right. So these sacred moments, here they are. Uh, important. We're going to get into more detail about baptism and about communion in uh, future episodes. In fact, our next episode will be on baptism. And we'll talk about the modes of baptism and and all that goes with that. Who can be baptized? Who should be baptized? I think that's an important question. What about kids, um, children, babies? Uh, So uh, we've got a lot coming up in that next episode. I thought this episode was pretty good. So um, I don't know about you guys. I thought this was pretty strong. Well, well, Brett, if you would would leave us a five-star review on iTunes, (laughs) that'd be great. Yes. I'll see if I can find another uh, another uh, uh, dummy account. Yeah, dummy account that I can use. To 49, 49 out of the 50 of those reviews is yeah. Brett on dummy accounts. That's exactly right. Um, as a reminder, the uh, Podakesis podcast is part of the Spirit and Truth podcasting network. Um, Spirit and Truth is a movement of Wesleyan-minded Christians seeking to awaken and equip the 21st century church through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We long to see a new movement of Christians who are empowered by the Spirit, rooted in the truth, and mobilized for mission. For more information about the Spirit and Truth Network uh, and some resources that they have, check out spiritandtruth.life. You can hit us up on social media. At Podakesis is where you can find us. You can also leave any questions or comments at questions at podakesis.com. That is questions at podakesis.com. You can call our voicemail, 404-635-6679. And as always, leave us a five-star rating and a review. And we hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day. Mm